We're continuing this morning in the study of the book of Romans, chapter 1. This is the second sermon in a series that will take us well into next year as we look at the powerful gospel of God. I want us to remember that when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are talking about that which changes the world. If there's a hope for mankind, it's the gospel of Christ. If there's anything that can fix what's wrong with us, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is our message. The gospel is our hope. And as Paul gets into verse 18 this morning, where we're going to be beginning, we're, we're going to actually cut this sermon. I didn't get all the way through this morning, and I didn't want to rush it because the second part of this is extremely important. So we'll, we'll finish up actually through 32 next week. We're going to get to verse 23 this morning And I want us to see this morning this gospel that Paul was so eager to preach. If you remember, it was so important to him. Last week he said, I'm eager to preach it. I want to preach it. I can't wait to preach it. And he said, I'm actually under compulsion. He's saying, I I feel obligated. I'm under obligation to preach this word of hope. And, And today he starts to really explain why this gospel is important, why it matters so much Why we need it so desperately. Because folks, he's not going to say that religion is the answer. He's not going to say that, you know what, people, you know, we have our issues and we have our problems and we just need a reset. We we just kind of need to pull ourselves up and, and make a few changes. That is not what Jesus said. That is not what the Apostle Paul is going to say. He's actually going to take on kind of the persona here of a lawyer. He's going to make the case For why it is that you and I need the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to say today that we have a problem. I want to ask you the question today. Do you recognize that you have a problem? Do you recognize that without Jesus Christ there is no hope? Do you know what that means? Do you know why we state that? Do you know why that's the truth? And today we're going to talk a lot about truth as well. That's going to be a word that keeps coming up. What is the truth? So today, let's answer the question. How it is that we're saved? Because he's going to make the case that we are desperately lost. So what's our problem? Number one, read with me in verse 18. You're going to see right off the bat what he says the problem is that we face He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Some translations say, is being poured out. The problem that we have is that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all. Underline that word. All ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God. Now see there he's going to tell you a little tidbit of information. He's saying we can know God. There is no one that can say they don't know of God. Because the Bible says that's not true. He says because that which is known about God. It's evident. It's obvious. Where? Within them. And why is it evident within them? Because God made it evident within them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they, and they is us, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. You say, wow, I'm glad I came to church this morning. You will be. If you'll hear the truth of God, you will be because we need to know desperately what the Bible says here because we'll never be found until we realize we're lost. We'll never recognize the need for a Savior until we recognize that we need saving. And so that's where Paul begins. In fact, we're going to talk about over the next several weeks This understanding of just how fallen we are, just how broken we are, just how desperate we are for the love of God, for the forgiveness of God. We need not God's wrath, not God's judgment. Folks, we don't even want to ask God to give us what we deserve. You know what we need? Grace and mercy. We need him to not give us what we deserve, and we need him to give us what we don't deserve. Folks, Jesus is going to say through the Apostle Paul, God is going to speak in these words a truth that we need to understand. What's our problem? Number one, we are all facing God's wrath. That if it weren't for Jesus Christ, what would be true of every single person that walks this earth is that we, without Christ, we are all facing God's wrath. Listen to how he puts it here. He says, for the wrath of God is being poured out or is being revealed. And he makes it very plain. Against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, and all Those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You know what he's saying there? He wants us to understand a truth that he's going to make even clearer as he goes ahead. The Bible says, for all have sinned, right? And all fall short of the glory of God. Paul is going to make it abundantly clear through these next three chapters that we all share the same condition. And the condition is that we're sinners. And that sin has rightly placed us under the condemnation and judgment and wrath of a holy God. He would go on and say that the wage of any one sin is what? Is death. And folks, we know that sin kills. We know that sin destroys. We know that that is the very insidious nature of our rebellion. It didn't lead us to life. Rebellion never leads to life. It always leads to death. It always leads to destruction. And he says, now we find ourselves, because of our sin, we find ourselves in the position where it is justly and rightly said that the wrath of God is revealed or is being poured out from heaven against all ungodliness. 
You see, when we talk about godliness, it's reminding us that the reason that we were created was to display the goodness and the greatness of God. We were made in God's image to display His glory so that when people wanted to understand love, they could look to other people. But do you see how that's just not true anymore? We live in a world that, that honestly can't even define love. We define it as feelings. We define it, I mean, we, we just, we, we take simple concepts and simple words and, and we just pervert them and we destroy them. To the point that someone can abuse another person and, and then look at them and say what? I love you. Or, or we can look at a person and say I love you, but I'm not going to keep my commitment to you. I love you and I'll always love you, but. And see, it's because we don't even understand what love is. We think we understand forgiveness, but we don't understand forgiveness. God made us in a way that, that we were able to display the, the attributes of God. When we talk about patience, we've become the most impatient people. When we talk about kindness, I mean, just look around you. It's like no one can have a civil conversation anymore where there seems to be any kindness. We can't even disagree without being extremely unkind. And honestly, when, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, if we're honest with ourselves we start to really have this recognition that I don't really look like God. I, I'm not the personification of love and generosity and faithfulness and grace and mercy and justice and holiness and righteousness. We honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we look in the mirror and what do we realize? I'm a mess. We start to realize that our, our attitudes are wrong. Anybody ever have a bad attitude? Anybody have one this morning before they got to church? Bad attitudes, you know what day of the week they happen more than any other day? Sunday. Don't know why that is. We know what it is to have a bad attitude. We know what it is to have bad thoughts, wrong thoughts. We know what it is to do things with absolute wrong motives and we can put on the mask or the face, but we look in the mirror and we see ourselves for who we are and we begin to realize that, that we live life with those things, those wrong attitudes, wrong thoughts, wrong motives all the time. And we, we live in this constant state without Jesus of ungodliness. It's like we're enslaved. It's like we're trapped. And it doesn't stop with just ungodliness. He says it becomes unrighteousness, right? Not just a, a failure to display who God is, but actually we start to live out a different life completely from the life that God would have us to live. And so our actions and our words coming out of those wrong attitudes, thoughts, right, and motives, now the, attitude, now the actions and the, and the words of our life, they actually condemn us. We have to remember that God means it, that the Apostle Paul meant it 
when he said the wrath of God, it is revealed from heaven against. And see, we want want to think this is somebody else. No, no, without Christ, this is us. Ungodliness. Unrighteousness. He's talking about us. When we say that we're lost, that's what we mean. That we don't have a way back to God, that we can't undo what we've done. The void is too great. The wage of any one sin is death. How many sins have we committed? And we we come to this recognition that I deserve God's wrath. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. Imagine if we took all the skeletons in our closets and we just made them obvious. That's how God sees us. There are no closets with God. None. There's no hiding from him. And when it says all unrighteousness, his wrath will be poured out on all... That has to include us. And you see, that's the beauty of why Jesus died. Is that wrath was going to be poured out. It would be poured out to pay the price for sin. Praise God, he loved us enough that Jesus took that sin and paid that price. And the wrath of God, instead of being poured out on me, guess what? Jesus stood in the gap and he paid the price for my sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. Don't think that it wasn't paid. Don't think that God's wrath just mysteriously went away. No, that's Jesus hanging on the cross. Dying. Our death. And he says, not only because of godlessness or ungodliness, and not just because of unrighteousness, but he says that the wrath of God is coming because man has this insatiable desire to do this crazy thing. You know what it is? Suppress the truth. How many of y'all have ever been to the beach or the lake and you take a beach ball and you take it out in the water and have you ever tried to hold it under? That's what suppression looks like. Or if you ever put a life jacket on and try to dive to the bottom of the lake, what, initial, what, what inevitably happens? You, you pop back up. He says most of us are living our lives, and you know what we're doing? We're taking the truth of God, and we are trying to push it down. So when God gives us the commands, we don't want to obey them. We don't want to recognize them. We don't want to agree with them. What do we want to do? We want to suppress it. We don't want to think about it. We say we want to know God's will, but we really don't want to know God's will. We say we want to accept God's will, but we don't really want to accept God's will because when the truth comes to the surface, what do we try to do? When he says, listen, Sleeping together before marriage is a grave sin before God. We don't want to accept that in the church today, so what do we do? It's okay. God forgives us, and he's cool. The world is trying to get us to suppress the truth, right, about things like homosexuality. Well, is it really an abomination? Let's just suppress it. No, that's what the Word of God says. That it is a sin just like sex outside of marriage. 
Just like adultery. One is no greater, no worse than the other. It's all sexual sin. And you see, we want to say, well, you know, in, in the church, that's the thing. Well, we will say, well, yeah, we'll let the homosexual issue because we don't deal with that. We'll just let that bubble come to the surface. We'll accept that truth. But don't start talking to me about my sexual desires as a heterosexual. When we start talking about that, what do we do? That's when we start taking that ball and we try to push it under. The things we don't deal with, we'll let them come to the surface. The things we do, we suppress. That, that, you see how the nature of man? You see why God is angry? You see why his wrath is rightfully being poured out? Because he says that we are suppressing the truth. Don't sit back and think for a second, which we will get to in, in a lot of detail next week. Don't think... That this is ignorance that we're talking about. There's no one that is really ignorant. He's going to make the claim we're under the wrath of God. And we need to understand that we can't say that we're ignorant. Because ignorance is not having a clue about the truth. What are we doing? We know the truth. We hear the truth. God has revealed the truth. But what do we do to the truth? We suppress it. That's completely different. You say there, there are people that don't know that God exists. This verse is going to say, no, there isn't. You know what they've done? They've taken what they know and they've suppressed it. And I'll show you where it says it and why it says it and how it says it. It's not the same as ignorance. What it boils down to is that when the truth becomes too uncomfortable. The truth is that when the truth would demand too much change, then we're willing to give. Here's what happens. We subconsciously choose to not know. You say, well, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Let me take you to World War II. When the Allied forces made their way into the first concentration camps, they came into the camp that was literally on the outskirts of a town called Ordruf. What the Allies found there was hell on earth. Bodies littered everywhere. It was so bad that General Patton, now you got to remember, General Patton was a man of war. He's seen war. He's seen the worst of what man can do, he thought. But as he walked into that concentration camp that day, it said that he vomited the second he saw what went on. It was that bad. And he was angry. You know why? Because there was a town right there of people that, guess what they did? They said nothing. They did nothing. He went and he got the mayor and the mayor's wife of that town, and he told him, I want you to get everybody in town over here. And so they walked the very short distance. And he said, it's your responsibility to bury these bodies. And the mayor and his wife, they protested and said, we didn't know and he said, how could you not know? You saw all the trains with hundreds of thousands of people come into this place, and they never left. The stench of the bodies reeks in your town. The ash from the burning bodies settled on you and your home and your things. You heard the gunshots. You heard the screams. And so they buried the bodies. A couple of weeks later, they found the mayor and his wife hung 
where they had hung themselves. And you know what the note said? It was a very simple note. We didn't know. Dot, dot, dot. But we knew. That's how most of us live. We know. But we don't know because we don't want to know. That's what it means to suppress the truth. And the second point and the last point of today, it's we still got a little bit to work through, is that we have all suppressed the knowledge of God. We know that his wrath is being poured out because of ungodliness and unrighteousness and the suppression of the truth. And now he's going to tell you this is the truth that you have suppressed. The truth that you have suppressed is the knowledge of God. God's will, God's ways, God's person, God's attributes, God's nature. Everything that God desired to reveal to you, you suppressed, you pushed down. You tried to ignore. It was too uncomfortable. And he begins by saying to us in verse 19 that though creation declares the reality of God, the power of God, the glory of God, we can see in nature what this verse says, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. God's glory is declared in creation. That's what these verses are going to say to us. And look at how he's going to put it. He's going to say, when we suppress the truth, of the knowledge of God, we do it even though the knowledge of God has been revealed to us. There is no one that can say, I have an excuse. There is no one that can say, I didn't know. Because what the Bible clearly says is that all of us know. Why? Because God revealed it. How? He revealed it. He says, just look around. He says, look in a telescope. Look at a telescope. You can't explain the universe, can you? We've yet to find the end of it. When we think of what we can know and understand, it's almost nothing. It's minuscule. We think we're so smart. We think science answers every question. We don't know squat. Every time we think we find an answer, it only opens up 10 million more questions. And you look under a microscope and it just gets worse. Because even the smallest particle that makes up everything else is so complex, we still can't fully understand it. He says, just look around you. And the heavens declare God's glory. The creation declares God's glory. And folks, we're not the first ones that have had to wrestle with this. Go back to Aristotle. When philosophers began to give their philosophies, it didn't start where we start today. We've so done away with God in our culture that literally when we talk philosophy, we just talk about humanism. We just talk about ourselves. Why? Because we think we're God. We think it starts, begins, and ends with us. But back then, they wanted to understand. They wanted to know the God that created everything. And that's where we get much of our philosophy today. Go back to Aristotle, the cosmological argument. You know what that simply meant? He was wise enough, smart enough, really I would say simple enough 
to walk outside, and even without all the science, he could tell that this earth and this world was so complex, there's no way it happened by what? By chance, by accident. He knew that, that this couldn't have come from absolutely nothing. Somebody had to make it. Somebody had to start. I mean, he, he's saying what we logically know and we all believe. Nothing times nobody cannot equal everything. Right? Did you hear that? Nothing times nobody cannot equal everything. We understand that. Scientists are baffled because no matter how far back they go, they can't go back to the point. You've got to say, well, okay, fine, there were two particles. Where did they come from? And do we honestly believe that two things bumped into each other, even though we know the absolute power of atoms and nuclear? But do you think, I mean, do you think that they bumped into each other and then suddenly, out of complete chaos, came order? Without a guiding hand? We have the teleological argument. If you remember your philosophy, these two arguments, the cosmological, the teleological, these are ancient arguments for the existence of God. Teleos means purpose. It's what we called, and you used to hear it called the watchmaker analogy, because the basic thinking was that when you look into the world, it's so complex that it demands that there has to be a creator because there's too much design. And so the analogy was, if you were walking down the beach and suddenly you found a watch, it didn't matter if you'd ever seen a watch, it didn't even know what a watch did or what it was, you would pick it up, you would examine it, you would open it, and what would be the conclusion? Well, somebody had to make this. It's too precise. It's too complex to just be chance. We know it. I mean, how many times are you going to take dynamite and throw it in a, a, a watch factory and all the parts and just keep exploding things until suddenly, boom, there's a watch? What do you think the chance of that happening is? He said that within us, we, we know the truth. We just want to suppress it. We can, we can look at what science is telling us, and, and even science Though they want to say it's saying there is no God, what it's screaming is, no, there has to be a God. Do you realize that if anything was wrong with the world as we know it, if the tilt of the earth was off just by the slightest of degrees, we couldn't survive. When you look at the O2 and CO2 levels of this earth, which everybody loves to talk about right now, right? The reality is throughout history, they have gone up and they have gone down. And the reality is they always stay within a field that allows us to live. Because if God didn't make it that way, really, it's amazing how small that level is that we have to survive. We're either we're going to suffocate or we're going to burn up. That keeps our atmosphere going. You know what's amazing throughout all these years it is maintained. Why? 
because there's a God who oversees it. Jupiter, Jupiter's your best friend. You don't know it. You know what Jupiter does? It's like the guy on the basketball court that does the fast pick for you. Remember that? The, he, he's going to sit there and run up and, and block so you can go around. That's what Jupiter does for us. Jupiter catches almost all the asteroids that if it wasn't there in its orbit year after year doing what it does, you know where those asteroids would be coming, right? Right at us. He's just setting picks up there. That's what Jupiter does. So we don't what? So we don't die. It's not an accident. It's design. Studies have come out, and they used to say, that when they first started positing these theories, they used to say that really there's just two things that need, you need. You need a sun, and you need a planet that are perfectly in distance from each other so that life can exist. And that's how they tried to explain life on Earth. And if we could just find, you know, a sun and a planet that were the same distance apart, you know, you start to think. But as they've come to find out, it's more complicated than that, isn't it? It's not just the distance from the sun or the star, but there's so many other facets to it. And literally what it would take to have life on earth or in the universe like we have on earth, it's astronomical. What God did when he made us and put things in order, just like the Bible said that he, that he did, it's amazing because we can find planets with the same distance from a star and maybe planets that have the same type, this, that, and the other, that, or whatever they want to throw in there. And every time they start to say, well, if it's this, this, and this, you have life. If it's this, this, and this, you have life. Every time they start to find things that are like that, guess what? They're still not life. And it always keeps taking more to the point that they said the likelihood of another planet existing and the circumstances that Earth is, they said it would be like flipping a coin every second for 10 billion years and its heads every time. Think about that. And here we are on this earth, we can't even decide what life is, right? I think it's hilarious that we're trying to find life, billions of, you know, and the smallest piece of water, we will try to say that's life, but yet we can't come to a conclusion that life exists in the womb, right? Isn't that crazy? That's called suppression of the truth. God has revealed it to us. He shows us in nature every day the heavens the psalmist would say, declare your glory. God is seen. If you don't want to look in the, micro, or in the, in the telescope, then look in the microscope. And you're going to see the greatest complex things that exist are the smallest things that we can't even see with the human eye. But it's not only revealed to us, the knowledge of God is revealed in us. He says, that which is known about God in verse 19 is within them. God made it evident to them for since creation of the world, the invisible attributes, the eternal power, the divine nature, they've all been clearly seen, being understood through what was made so that they have what? No excuse. And then in 21 to 23, he says, for though they knew God. So he's saying that within them, what is the reality of every person? I mean, unless you want to call God a liar, what does it say right there? It says that within everybody is the knowledge of what? Of God. Okay, now we'll talk about because there are some people that are going to try to say what? Ah, oh, there is no God. Well, that, what are they doing? They're suppressing what they know inside of themselves. And sometimes there are reasons for that. Things that have happened to them that make them want to not believe that God exists. But the truth is something inside them 
longs to believe and know what they know inside, and that is that God does exist. The knowledge of God is revealed in us. Our hearts tell us that we are more than a cosmic accident. It brings us to what they call the argument from desire. There is something within every human being that desires to be loved, right? That desires justice. That desires eternity. Our lives, we want meaning and purpose. Now, some people are going to say, well, you know what? Those longings, they're just unfortunate. The thought that we would have meaning, justice, and eternity, those are just cruel, accidental jokes. C.S. Lewis differed in his thinking. Because this is how C.S. Lewis put it. This is a man who was once a self-proclaimed atheist who came to know God. This is what he ended up saying. He said, I have an answer for such a statement. A baby feels hunger. Why? Because there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, that's because there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Why? Because there's such a thing as sex. And he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And folks, that's why the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. We know we were created for more. We all long for purpose, meaning. We all want to know love. It's because we were made in his image. And within us, he put these desires that are undeniable. And then we have what they call the moral argument. And that is the very fact that we have moral feelings. It's a suggestion that we were made by a divine lawgiver. No matter where you go in the world, you know what you will find in humanity? That people live with guilt and moral obligation. That's what makes us different than the animals. You ever see a lion kill a zebra and then go cry in the corner over it? No, because they're immoral creatures. They weren't made in the image of God. They never come back and say, I'm sorry, I ate your youngin'. That wasn't fair. I should have went for the bigger one. But people around the world, they know the concepts of guilt. They can't explain it. They may not know where it comes from, but they do something, and inside everything screams what? Wrong. That's why you can go around the world and they've never seen a Bible, yet you look at their laws and their laws reflect very well the most basic thoughts on decency. You don't murder, you don't steal, right? You don't lie to each other. You treat each other with fairness, right? And when you don't do those things, there's something inside you that is guilty. And you feel this sense of moral obligation. In fact, if we go a step further, there is also this sense in us that we know, we know. We, we don't want to say it, but we lay down with our heads on our pillows at night, and there is a part of us that knows 
that there is a God out there and one day we are going to give an account for the way that we live. If that wasn't true, we would all just live the most hellacious, chaotic, sinful lives we ever could. You know why the world isn't just spinning off its axis right now with our disgusting filth and sin? It's because there is something inside of every man that in some form stops him. Some people whittle that down and they whittle that down and their heart becomes so hard they will do the most atrocious things you can imagine. We see it on the evening news, right? But even the lost sinners, many of them have lines where they say, I, I, I can't do that. Why? Because it's God revealing himself in us. This is how it works itself out, and I'll close with this section here. And this is still number two. This is still under the knowledge of God being revealed in us. The irreligious, they choose atheism or agnosticism. What that means is people that choose to live this way, suppressing the truth says there are those that, that are irreligious, and what they do is they just say, well, then God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, then they just choose to say, well, he's so distant from us. He winds the world up. He disappears. He could care less about what goes on in earth. We're not going to answer to him. We're never going to have to stand before him. And they just suppress the truth, the irreligious, by saying, I have no need for God, and God has no need for me, and we're just going to live as if neither of us exist. That's how many people respond to the truth that we just talked about. He knows, but he doesn't know because he doesn't want to know. Everybody in the depths of their heart knows the truth. But we don't want to admit it to ourselves. So we just convince ourselves there is no God. We don't like the thought of an all-powerful, ruling God that one day we will give an account to. And so therefore, we don't glorify Him and we don't give thanks to Him. That's exactly what the verses are saying. They didn't honor Him as God. And in their foolish hearts, they were darkened. They thought they were wise and they became fools. And before you get mad and say, well, you can't say that someone's a fool. Listen, that's what the Bible says. That's not me. It's God who said, the foolish man says in his heart, there is no God. That's what God said, not me. But yet we suppress. He says their hearts become darkened and they become foolish. And folks, make no mistake, we all are worshipers because that's what we were created to be. But what we do is we just take God off the throne and we worship something else. So what we start to say is, you know what, I'm going to worship my spouse. If you don't believe that, listen to every country song ever written. It all ends with, if I don't have you, life ain't worth living. If I don't have you, I just can't go on. Right? Then you play it backwards. That, that's, and it's not just country, it's hip-hop, it's everything else. We just take something that we don't want to call God and replace it with something else that we say we can't live without and we don't have it anymore. 
I check out, I'm done. And we just sit in a room and we just wither. When the longing of our heart is what? Jesus. God. A relationship with the one who created us. And before you point too much at the irreligious, let's look at what the religious choose. It's no better. They choose idolatry. Yes, the religious can choose idolatry. Because rather than saying there is no God, you know what the most subtle form of idolatry is? And it exists right here at Hepzibah. It exists right here in the SBC. It exists right here in America. It exists closer than you think. The most subtle, subtle form of idolatry is when we want to suppress the truth, but we don't want to say God doesn't exist. What we do is we say, well, then let me make the God of my choosing. That's the most subtle form of idolatry. Not a Buddha. And the reason we make little Buddhas and we make little sticks and call it God is we love a God that we can control. We don't want a God that we can't control. We don't want a God that we answer to. We want a God that answers to us. And so what we do is we come up with a God that we can control. We, what we end, I mean, what we end up with even in churches is there are many people, God is nothing more to them than a divine butler who exists to serve them. why all our prayers are, God, do this. God, I want this. God, I need this. God, I want you to fix this. God, I want you to change this. It's always about telling God what he's going to do in your life rather than sitting back and saying, God, here I am. I serve you. What do you want of me? What do you ask of me? God, speak to me so that I can respond in prayer and follow you and believe you and trust you and worship you and live out my life for you. Most of us don't ever see prayer that way. God's just a divine butler. Ring the bell. He comes running. And if he doesn't come running quick enough, that's when we say, well, maybe I just don't need God. When he doesn't fix it, well, maybe I don't need God. You see, we got a problem where even within the church, somehow we think that God <laughs> orbits us, the center of the universe. Somehow we became the center. And our worship is to get God to orbit around us. As Austin comes, I want to ask you, church. I want to ask you, of everyone in this room, I want to ask you, are you sure? Are you sure that you really understood what your problem was before you came to Jesus? Are you sure that you haven't come in this room and in this place and you haven't just molded and made a God that, that fits your liking, that, 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 that you can control, that, that is here to serve you? Are you sure that you are following the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Because here's the good news. What we learned in this scripture today, and, and if, you can, if you write anything down, write this down. We can know the power of God through creation. That's what he said today. The attributes. The we can know the power of God through his creation. And we can know the justice of God through our consciences. But 
the rest of this story is that you can only know the love of God through the cross. Jesus Christ died to save you from the wrath of God. He took your place on the cross and he died for you. Some of you are here today and the greatest news that I can give you is, yes, all these things that we said are true and and you, along with myself, without Jesus Christ, we all are in the same predicament, the wrath of God waiting to be poured out because we desire to suppress the truth. It's time to quit suppressing, to to quit putting down that beach ball into that water and let the truth rise that I desperately need Jesus. I need his forgiveness and I need his freedom that I need to repent that I need to follow him and I need to worship him and I need to live my life for him and, and, and the honesty to say God I don't even know how to do that but to listen to him say to you take my hand and trust me and I will make everything new from the inside out you see, God's not up there saying, figure it out, good luck. I hope you can get to eternal life. No, no, what he's saying is, you're so screwed up, you're so messed up, all you got is the wrath of God, but I sent my son to die in your place. And if you will believe that, if you will trust that, and you will let his death pay for the sins of your life, and you'll repent and believe and follow me, Jesus says to you, then come. Come and you'll find life. Come and I will change you. That's what the rest of this book's going to be telling us. And so today, are you one of those people that sit in church week in and week out and you're suppressing the truth as bad as anybody? Have you made God what you want him to be, not who he says he is? And today, are you willing to follow Jesus? with your whole heart. There, I mean, literally, there are some of you here, you've been sitting in this church for so long, you don't even realize how lost you are. And how everything that we've talked about has a lot to do with you. I pray that you'll have the courage today to step out and believe that you can let go of that ball and what you think was going to be too uncomfortable, you're going to find is the only source of peace that you have. What you thought would be asking too much, that it'll kill me to live that life. What you'll find is that you won't start living till you live that life. And what you've been trying to suppress this whole time is the truth that God loves you and he'll save you. If you'll believe. Father, we thank you For the truth of your word, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've saved us from our sin. And Lord, today, as we wrestle with this text, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, that today you would show us our great need for you, Lord, that we sit under your wrath without Jesus Christ's blood atoning for us. And so, Father, if there's one here that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, give them the courage to come while Austin and Olivia sing. And, and Lord, that you'll give them the courage to just say, I want to receive the gift of life. I want to follow Jesus. I recognize that everything about that today was about me. And that they'll see for the first time in their life, God has been revealing to them and in them this truth. 
And may today be the day of their salvation where they repent and believe and follow him. And Lord, for us that are part of this body of believers that truly know you and are following you, God, remind us how easy it is to fall back into suppressing and making you something you're not. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts, show us what we need to see today, and help us to be prayerful in Jesus' name.